Welcome back to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. Today, we have a bonus conversation with Galen Fresh, who is Curtis Hansen's assistant on the last movie we covered, The River Wild. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. We're so excited to talk about this movie that we love. So to kick it off, what are some of your memories from making this movie? Well, I mean, Curtis was one of the smartest people I'd ever met and really understood the suspense genre incredibly well. Um, I learned so much from him on that. This was kind of his biggest, you know, probably action, well, certainly up until that time. Um, But, I mean, getting to work with Meryl Streep, Kevin Bacon, David Strathairn, John C. Riley before he was known at all, and then little... You know, Joe Mazzello was coming off of Jurassic Park and is now directing. And and um, but we had a very small uh, cast overall. Benjamin Bratt was in it too, but it was so we were all kind of together. I learned also so much about. We had such an art along R and D phase of figuring out how to shoot all that river stuff, and you know, putting cameras in in the raft and rigging because they really were very conscious about not wanting to just put cameras on the side of the river and shooting it from the side. So Robert Ellswood was our amazing DP who has also since won an Oscar, you know, I mean, so we had just a a really, and everyone was, was gung ho. We, we brought a lot of people together from different walks of life too, because we had this, uh, we called them the river crew who were our river rafting experts who came in and, um, we had some stunt people, but we ended up using a lot of the river crew as stunt people later because they were just, these were people who were like living, you know, that's, they lived, they were ski bums and then they were river guides and they were the coolest people and they'd never made a movie before. So we, we had quite an experience. I mean, it, it was, it was and helicoptering in and out of location was, was something. <laughs> yeah, there were just so many things about it, but, but working with Curtis and having that, I, I say now especially producing myself is the access that I had was amazing because, you know, producing was different back then. And I was his sounding board for everything, even when I didn't want to be because I was in my twenties and I'd be like, I just want it. Right. But he was great. I was there. I was there through all the posts of the movie and even the international release. So I started with him in prep when we didn't even know where exactly we were going to shoot and went through the entire process and really just had a front row seat to everything. So I realized especially now how valuable that was to me and still is. It's kind of amazing to hear like, you know, Curtis Hansen, Robert Ellswit, like these kind of legends of, of filmmaking now, you know, in, in this earlier part of their career. And like, I mean, not to mention, <laughs> you know, Meryl and David Strathern and all of these, like, I mean, it's just unbelievable, but um, I, so what was it like? How does, how, you know, observing Han- Curtis and working with him and I'm, I'm a big Curtis Hansen fan. How did he kind of bridge this sort of river stuff with the more intimate scenes between Meryl and David Strathern? Because this movie is always mm-hmm. moving, right? Like from the minute they get on the river, there's this forward momentum and then it pauses. Like, how did he run the set? And I mean, how did he direct the set and how does he work with actors? And like, was there any big takeaway for you from, I'm sure there was from observing him dealing with 
the actors and 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 keeping this this movie moving i think you know we we had a, we had a good amount of rehearsal i think that um meryl trained for four hours a day to get into that kind of shape you know so she was she learned to scald you know from the the opening um it was really interesting that we went to boston i think for three days first but we left from we must have been in rehearsal for the yeah we were we we were in oregon for a long time that's where we did all the kind of research and development and they were all out you know um developing the rigs and doing all the things that they needed to do and then when yeah. we prepped, we probably were in Boston for maybe five days. Maybe sh- I can't remember now if we shot two or three days, but there was a whole helicopter scene with David um, that, that didn't end up in right. the movie uh, where he was told that he needed to work for this trip. But we used the Harvard, uh, I think she was the coach of the Harvard women's rowing team to do Merrill's sculling for that opening. So we kind of started out Boston then went back to um, to Oregon and then Montana. We shot so much of it in Montana. But I will say we shot pretty much all the heavy lifting action-y stuff first in Montana. Okay. And then we went to – which we, we were in a little town called Libby, Montana, which was outside of, uh, of Kalispell. And we were all small town. We shot six-day weeks because we needed daylight. Um, we all got pretty close because also – where that final scene is done, um, we shot many. So we shot some of the stuff early. Then we really shot most of the actiony stuff. That final scene, we had the helicopter in and out of a giant rock. We shot that scene for days, and I mean, I, I wish I could remember how many days, but it was a huge part of the movie that we shot, and that was. It took a long time, too, because we had a helicopter in and out of location, and we had two helicopters, and one hole held three plus the pilot, and one held four plus the pilot. So just think about the, the time that it took. But we... It was oh crazy. Oh, my God. And, but the interesting thing, too, with the cast is that they couldn't really go back to their trailer in between setups. So we all kind of hung out together, and everyone you know worked together really well. But we did all of the really... Uh, torturous kind of actiony stuff and then we moved to Oregon to do the stuff kind of on the side of the river you know on the banks of the river the nighttime um that was mm. a different lo- a different state and then yeah it's wow. crazy wow you'd I know, never right? know the magic of movies so we did that and there was some of the emotional stuff between Meryl and David, um, and like the scene where David tries to escape and, you know, the stuff in the tent and, you know, that, yeah, but that was all still done kind of later in the movie. And then the last, I believe, 10 days of shooting, we were on a stage, which you can't tell that some of that stuff was shot on a stage. What was on a stage? Well, I feel like we shot the reconciliation scene between Meryl and David. We reshot that. So a couple of those intimate pieces were shot on a stage and then the opening of the movie when she's in the house with david and the kids and they're running around chasing each other and the dog that set was built on the stage so that was sort of shot at the end also so it was kind of that stuff was built and then any kind of pickup you know stuff that we needed to get closer and do with better lighting and it was freezing and we were i mean by the end of we wrapped in 
probably the first or second week of November and we beat the snow by like a week because we had some second unit stuff that stayed and they got snow. So we were, we started in the summer and we finished, you know, in early November, but we got out just before it snowed, but it was cold. (laughs) It was definitely cold. Oh, I can imagine it gets cold real quick. It's interesting to think that sort of the action was done. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes total sense, but the action was done, you know, before, and then you have these more intimate scenes shot in an entirely different location. And of course, like you would never know as an audience member, even as someone that kind of knows how the sausage is made with these things. I was never, I would never suspect like, oh, they shot. It's just, it's really, really. Another thing to remember about that, too, is that Meryl was in such good shape and had been training for so long. She didn't have the opportunity to train as much while we were shooting. She needed to stay in shape. Do you know what I'm saying? But it was better to shoot all that in the beginning when she was kind of fresh and ready to go as to dragging it out longer. So that, I think, was another rationale behind it, too, besides just weather and wanting to get all our daylight stuff done earlier in the year before we started losing light. But she was in, like I said, she was in great shape. I mean, she's just a pro in everything she does. So I think that was also part of the rationale is to just get her, get all the heavy lifting done in the beginning. So speaking of Meryl, you know, this podcast is called <laughs> Die Hard on a Blank. And up to this point, we've done something like 20 something episodes. And to be honest, it's been really dude heavy. <laughs> I mean, it's all of the all of these movies that follow in the footsteps of Die Hard are, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger or, um, you know, you have, you know, more Bruce Willis movies. You have Sylvester Stallone. You have all these sort of machismo guys. And, and this movie is really significant because it's the first time you have a woman sort of as the corollary to the John McClane character, if that makes sense. So she's kind of the Bruce, Meryl is kind of the Bruce Willis to in the, in the diehard formula. And I'm wondering like, did that, did it feel significant that like this was an action movie led by a woman? You know, it's funny because when you said that, and I think I saw that in your, I never really thought of it that way, but now as I've also been in the business longer, I think I do, but I think we were also, it was more about having Meryl Streep be the woman. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, because it was such a departure for her and, um, I have so many funny stories, but one of the funniest things is later when she was doing the interviews and when they did the press junket and all that, when she saw the movie cut together, which she did see many times and she went, I snuck her into screenings out in Santa Ana and things like that. She was more freaked out when she saw it cut together because it looked so good. I mean, she did a lot of stuff, don't get me wrong, but because it was edited so well and she kind of looked back Mm -hmm. and went, I can't believe I did that. And we would laugh about it because I would say to her, oh, my gosh, do you remember that day? And she would just go, Galen, I can't believe I did any of that stuff. And and uh, and I go, well, you know, it wasn't all you. And she's like, I know, but I still can't believe I did this movie. And I think I also think she really did it for her daughters. You know what I mean? She's got three daughters and her youngest was, gosh, like two at the time and was with mm-hmm. us for most all of the shoot. And um, I think you know, she's, she knew what she was doing. She knew it was a departure for her, but I also think she felt safe in the hands of Curtis who 
knew how to direct women, knew how to direct these movies and give it a real emotional core. I think her being a mother who's trying to save Mm -hmm. her child was really what was also so appealing to her about it. It had to have that strong emotional current throughout a woman who's saving her family, you know? Um, But like I said, I don't ever think we thought, Ooh, a woman. And I will tell you when I was hired, she was already, they were just in the process of making her deal. And I said, I was just kind of like, Oh, great. But it was also just the fact that she was Meryl Streep doing this movie period. The end, you know, um, was just, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that I ever, and I don't think Curtis and I ever talked about the fact that it was a woman doing this type of movie. It was more like it's Meryl and we got the best possible person how lucky are we yeah i mean she's she's incredible i mean she's always incredible but she's incredible in this movie and it's such a um such a sort of thoughtful kind of divorce drama that becomes Mm -hmm. a thriller you know and in a way that's kind of like man they don't make them like this anymore and and one of the things that came in up our, our discussion earlier was how like curtis hansen you know kind of does some of his best work in the noir genre or the thriller genre. And I'm wondering if there were like in in your conversations with him, were there any films that he cited? He was like, Oh, we should all take a look at this, or we should all be thinking about this Hitchcock film. Was there any of that in the discussion or was he looking back at other things for influences that you can recall? You know, I'm gosh, I wish I remembered. Curtis was very much a cinephile. I mean, he, I, I know Hitchcock was definitely, um, but oh my gosh, what am I? I'm trying to think. I don't curious. remember any no specifics, but he was definitely a fan of that genre. And you know, he was coming off like Hand That Rocks the Cradle, and he knew mm-hmm. he was also a great director with with women. You know, he knew how to get those performances, but is a respectful, really. Um, he just understood. He understood that genre so well. But there were things like I remember, and even watching it recently again the scene in the raft where she kind of begs Kevin Bacon's character, Wade, not to try to take them Mm. down the river. And I think that, you know, that's when they're tied up and she kind of, and she starts kind of begging, but she kind of laughs and loses and kind of, and, and I remember saying to him afterwards, did you know she was going to do that? Like, or did you, in other words, did you direct her to do that? And he said, no, that's all her, you know? Um, and so it was just what she brought to the character and even just the subtleties, but the deaf, you know, uh, having the deaf father was a very interesting, um, and those are the kind of things I forget about sometimes because it seemed like such a small part in the beginning. And then I go back and look at the movie and I go, Oh, I forgot about that. And we cast a real deaf actor Mm -hmm. who wasn't really an actor and, you know, and all those kind of things. And she, you know, either knew or learned sign language because she's Meryl Streep. Um, And I did some research where she asked if she could hear some accents of that Pacific Northwest. Mm. And it's not a strong accent, but I went and Mm -mm. recorded some people for her and gave her, I'm sure, a cassette tape. And I hear now in the movie just slight little things that she'll say so subtly 
And I just, I mean, she's just as, you know, she's as good as it gets, but. Um, it's like invisible technique, you know, the best kind of technique. She's doing something. You don't even know she's doing it. And then it comes through subconsciously. That's really. I'll tell you a very funny story, though, about the uh, the action. Please. In the very beginning of the movie, when, um, when I think they hit just one little uh, rapid, and I think that when David's character falls out of the back of the boat and the whole thing. So Meryl was steering the raft and she had really trained. So whenever she could do the things that she could do without a stunt woman, he would put her in. And this was kind of early in the shoot. And, you know, like I said, we had a whole safety team. Everybody was ready to go. But I will tell you that was glacier water too. So it was cold even in the summer. Uh, And I think she did the take a couple of times on a kind of wide and maybe the third time or fourth time she fell out of the raft. They hit the raft and she oh. fell out and she was pulled under and they pulled her out and she was soaking wet. And he asked her to do it one more time. And all of us were oh. kind of like, uh, and she, uh. well, wait. and she looked at him <laughs> and she went and she put her finger up and she said, what? One more time. That's it. And he said to me, and I think he even said public, he said, that's when I knew she was in. She was all the way in. Because if she had mm. said, like I said, it was probably the first or second week. And if she had said, nah, I'm done. You got what you need. I'm wet and cold. And she was never like that. And there was there were a lot of the scenes where the helicopter was flying over them. I look back now and I go, wow, too bad we didn't have drones. But um, you can see in those corridors the water because the helicopters flying over them, shooting them in the raft, you know, towards the end when it's just, uh, you know, her and, and Kevin and John and, and uh, <laughs> double for Joe. And what they would do normally, what Curtis would do is he would take the, the doubles, the river guides and have them do it and show the cast. And then they would decide if they wanted to do it or not. And, um, and so, you know, oh, wow. it, this, it, they got bigger and bigger as time went on, you know, and there was one in particular where the helicopter was flying over them and the river crew went down and showed them and they were standing there. And Kevin said, Curtis, no fucking way. And <laughs> and Meryl goes, oh, my God, thank you. She goes, I never want to be the, the girl. I never want to be the woman. I never be the, want to be the one who says I don't want to do it. So she was like so happy that Kevin said, no way. So, yeah, totally. Oh, my God, of so course. That's one of my favorites because um, it's just like when she said that too, she goes, I never want to be the one to, to say no. So she was so happy that, that Kevin was Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Imagine Meryl Streep thinking she can't be the one to say no to something also is just, I mean, it's Meryl Streep. That, you know, one thing that's so interesting is you have this incredible cast, but they spend 
the the way the antagonism develops between uh, Meryl and uh, and Kevin Bacon and and how much by the end of the film, to his credit, I remember seeing this movie opening night with my family. We all went together opening weekend, and all being like, the biggest impression was. I hate right. Kevin Bacon in this movie so much. Like he's the devil. He's awful. And so I have to ask, you know, you mentioned that they shot the action and then they shot some of the more intimate, you, you shot some of the more intimate scenes later. Like what was the vibe? Like you said, there's a lot of camaraderie cause you're not flying people back and forth. Like, was it like cameras would cut and everyone would be like back to goofing and relaxing? Or did it feel like Meryl and Kevin kind of had to keep their distance because of the, intensity of the no we all hung out we went to we we hung out and uh-huh. went to parties on the weekend and and funny enough uh kevin um they they we had a couple of parties where the the cast performed for us so meryl would sing and kevin was up there playing and and no they were all they were all buddies and um we we everybody hung out together so i think at that point too it was just they were such pros. I do think that, you know, um, Kevin, especially there was a little bit of like, Oh my gosh, Meryl Streep, you know what I mean? And then, and then everybody got to know each (laughs) other and she's so down to earth and we would all watch dailies together. Curtis, you know, this was back when dailies were screened, you know, normally for the director and the, and the, you know, and the, uh, and the DP and everybody, but we were in a, in rural Montana we had a, a small town. We had a, furniture store old furniture store that was our production office and upstairs they set up a screening room and curtis's attitude was anyone who worked on the movie can come watch dailies oh that's great so meryl would come pretty much every night and her daughter would come the name and we would sit on the floor there weren't that many women on there we would all hang out and um sometimes we would drink wine and we would all screen dailies and everyone would cheer and if the river guys were in stunts they would come and they would watch but if, obviously it was Curtis and Robert and you know any of the other you know crew but we would it was there was a real camaraderie and everyone wanted the movie to succeed so there really wasn't that and I know exactly what you're talking about but nah I think that you know the whole method thing they didn't they didn't need it you know yeah Absolutely. I mean, it's just one of those things where the intensity is so palpable. Like the scene when she's like, I'm going to kill you. Like, it just feels like the idea that then, you know, they call cut and it's like, we're back to normal again. I mean, of course, that's what professionals do. Right. But like, I just can't imagine because the 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 level of 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 antagonism between those two characters is, is just next level well the fight scene was one of and i still watch that and that's intense to me when when kevin's Mm -hmm. beating you know hits joe the little boy and then also is like beating up david's character in front of his wife and son that's Mm -hmm. a very intense scene and i think we all felt it when we were doing it but we'd say cut and they'd start laughing you know and so it was very much like wow yeah, every I think there was a just a mutual respect between these actors too, and um, and I think you know when you've got Meryl Streep, everyone's bringing their A game. 
Oh yeah, I mean you're not you're not like showing up to that set like I still gotta <laughs> learn my lines. Like you're a hundred percent, you're hundred percent there. I can imagine. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Joe Mazzello quickly because uh, you know I'm a, roughly I'm a little older than him, but we're we're roughly the same age. And he was you know I was very aware of him as a, as a kid actor, and um, I think he is incredible in this movie because he gets the. I mean, this is kind of a divorce mm -hmm. drama, right? It's like Kramer versus Kramer if it took place, you know, on a river and they had to, you know, battle a, uh, another character. And I'm just so curious, wh what was the experience like working with him? Like, because he's he's so raw and real. And like, he screams like a kid would scream. And he's scared in a way that there's no, like, frills to it. So I'm curious, like... What was it like working with him and how did Curtis work with him and what was the experience like? I think, you know, he was, and it's funny cause I, I did meet with him a few years ago, you know, and he's directing now and wow. Yeah. yeah. And he was just talking about how he grew up working with these amazing directors, mm -hmm. but he was such a young professional and now having worked with a lot, like he was still a kid. His parents were there with them the whole time. But I think that, he also knew and, and also you also have like Meryl and David who are were parents who treated him. Mm -hmm. But Curtis was very respectful of him. And I still laugh. One of the, the funniest things to me is in that fight scene when uh, Kevin slaps him and Curtis wanted a tear. They, yeah. they had the tear stuff ready. And, you know, I feel like he was what he was maybe nine or, or, or ten at the most. And they had the tear stuff ready to give him the tear because Curtis was like, I want when he turns, I want to see that he's holding back that tear. And he said, I can do it. I don't need oh the tear stuff. And a very just professional, young professional, I don't need the tear. I can do it. And Curtis said, okay. And he did it. And it was like, is it, enough? you know, and Curtis was like, well, you know, I, I just want it to be able to show on screen. And he said, well, I would like to do it once without doing that. And Curtis said, okay. And he did it. So he was just such, he was already, I mean, he'd done Jurassic Park already. And it mm -hmm. kind of, I think Jurassic Park came out when we were shooting. So interestingly, he got recognized a lot in our little small town because he'd just been sure. in Jurassic Park. But I having worked with young actors they've either got that professionalism and this is what i'm doing and he was just the best of that and and curtis was just was great with him but like i said you also had him very protected by the people like the merrills and the davids and the kevins who all you know had kids and just you know were were just great to him. And, and he was like, I said, same thing. He was just a member of the team because for the most part we had five actors and the dog through the whole movie, you know? So we had, mm -hmm. we had a, a few people come and go, but that was, you know, that was our group. Yeah. It's amazing how, um, you know, again, a lot of these movies that we've talked about before, cliffhanger, last action hero, mm -hmm. like they're massive in scale and, they're, you know, I love all those movies, but there's something in kind of intense about the chamber piece nature of this movie and the fact that it's really just like the building kind of relationships between the characters. Well, you know, Carrie Fisher came in and did uncredited rewrites on the movie. So I don't right. know if people know that. And, you know, she and Meryl were close friends and had done postcards on the edge together. Mm -hmm. So I think she really brought a lot of that. And that was, you know, once Meryl was on board, 
Um, so I think that also made a huge difference. And Curtis is also a writer, was a writer himself. So, you know, we had that, the massaging of, I said, one of my favorite that I tell people that I forget about these stories sometimes is that we were, I think they were hashing out that reconciliation scene between Meryl and, and David. And I mean, so it was really just some massaging here and there, but the three of them went into Curtis's trailer between takes one day and I was called in and, um, and like I said, I was in my early twenties, so it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And we all knew each other by this time, but Curtis literally sat, they sat on the little couch in the trailer facing each other and Curtis is like, they're going to act out the scene and I, I wouldn't want you to watch. And I was like, okay. Oh, wow. So these two amazing actors and they went all in, you know, and they literally acted out this scene and then they both turned to me and went, well, and I was like, well, what do you mean? Well, and they're like, well, did you like it? I said, uh, yeah, it was amazing. And Kurt, I, and I really was a little speechless, but like I said, we all knew each other pretty well, but it was still, and then Curtis goes, okay, they're going to do it a few more times and you're going to write it down and go put oh. it into the script. Cause I was doing the script revisions. So they had kind of workshopped it. And so they did it. And, and, and David made fun. I had a yellow legal pad and I wasn't, I wasn't, I took good, I took good fast notes, but David was like, she can't do that. And Curtis was like, yeah, she can. Yeah, she can. So they acted out the scene three or four times and I literally wrote dictated every it. word. Wow. Yeah. So I could go and, and, you know, and, oh and God. just add it into the script. But I, I've looked back, I've told that story because it's something you forget. And then you go, I, I just will never forget Meryl Streep and David Strathairn and Curtis turning to me and going, well, well. And I was like, well, <laughs> and you're in your what? early twenties and it's like, okay, legend of legends of Hollywood. Here's what I, but that's such a cool Testament to collab, like the collaborative nature of the medium when you have the right kind of people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'll tell you another interesting uh, yeah. tidbit. Because I've been thinking about this and, um, in terms of thriller land and, you know, there are places now uh, like Netflix who are trying to make these, you know, kind of nineties, mm -hmm. 2000 style thrillers. And, um, and like I said, I learned so much from Curtis because of the movies that he did and he loved the genre, you know? And, um, but, um, I remember in rehearsals, I would be sitting in the other room while he was in the other room working with, you know, Marilyn Kevin or, you know, David. And, um, he walked into me one day and he said, Meryl doesn't want to shoot him at the end because wow. she's a mom and an anti guy. So she really felt uncomfortable. So think about that in this yeah. action genre. I think it's very valid because, you know, we're used to all the shoot 'em ups is like die hard with Bruce Willis with the gun and then, you know, everything yeah. is gun, 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 gun. And, and so the ending of the movie was, you know, Gail shooting Wade. And, um, but I remember when I say I had access, he literally walked into my, my little office and said, Meryl doesn't want to mm -hmm. shoot, shoot him. Meryl doesn't want to shoot the gun. And I said, Oh, what are you going to do? And he said, well, we're going to figure it out. And so, I know that that ending was concocted in a way that she has to shoot him. Absolutely. Do you see what I'm saying? She tests him. If you watch it, 
when she when she flicks and the bullet doesn't and it doesn't shoot and then you see him turn on her and go kill him and you know right and then she is completely justified in shooting him because it's either shoot him or her and her family you know and so i look back on that now and i don't remember specifically what the way the script was written before but it was i think she just shoots him and she as a mother and as you know she just didn't feel comfortable Mm -hmm. just blowing him away and um but i think we came to a compromise curtis came to a compromise with her and probably the studio too um as to how that was going to end. But I think it was, it was very well constructed in a way that she absolutely had to shoot him and got no joy from doing it. You know, it's so funny you bring that up because when we were talking about the action in this movie, something that came up was like, you have this feeling at the end that Kevin is so good in that scene where he's like, come on, Gail, you know, and he Mm -hmm. reverts to this kind like the lovable, you know, fuck up that he is at the beginning of the movie when you kind of like him. And we were sort of like, you know, in 1994, we didn't use the word gaslighting the way that we do now, but like Wade is a classic gaslighter throughout the entire movie, the way he manipulates, you know, her son and the way he kind of like, flirts with your sympathies for him and i i think what's so impressive about the way that was reworked is that like he falls back on that classic move that he's done throughout the movie and uh meryl just isn't buying it anymore Mm -hmm. but she almost Mm -hmm. does like she looks at him and you know that mothering thing that is so interesting that by the way not to be so reductive but like part of what makes this so impressive as a diehard if you want to consider it some sort of diehard, you know, follow up or acolyte is that like the considerations are different when, when it's a female character, you know, from the perspective Mm -hmm. of like, she has, she's thinking about different things. There's a scene earlier in this movie where she says, I'm the mother, I'm on everyone's side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can feel Mm -hmm. it in that moment at the end. Like it's a totally different sort of approach to the action genre or the suspense genre. Like, not that had never happened before, but in this, like, the golden age of action movies that we were experiencing at that time. No, and it is, like I said, I remembered it. And when I watch it, I can totally go, oh, yeah, I remember how this came about. But it was just very interesting in the in the wake of things are the way things are in the world, period. But that was just her. That was who she was even at that time. Mm -hmm. And I think she was very mindful of it and being a mom and just knowing that she wanted to do a different kind of action movie. uh, She just didn't want to. And it's a great misdirect, though, because you do think, oh, he's got it. And he got her and she shoots into the air. And Mm -hmm. the minute he starts, you see her eyes and you see her know that that bullet is still in there. And it was a test, you know, and I think the whole audience was like, oh, no, she's not going to believe him again, you know, Mm -hmm. and she was like, nope, wait, there was a way, you know, and it was her it was her test. She gave him one more chance and and he blew it. He totally blows it. No, that's really, really it's a really interesting way to think about it, because I almost think now we expect in movies because we're so well trained. We all expect the last, like the last sort of revival of the villain. Like, you know, at the end of die hard, Carl comes back and Kevin Bacon doing it at the end is kind of similar, but it's, it's, it's manipulative again. It's him like using his charms and Kevin Bacon is nothing if not incredibly charming 
in this entire <laughs> movie. That's what makes it so painful is that like you like him even when you hate him and you hate him, but he's still Kevin Bacon. Well, the funniest the what I remember, I believe his first day of shooting is when they're at the at the drop in getting the license and he meets Joe's character and they talk about the hat and the whole thing. His swagger. Mm -hmm. It just I can watch that now. And I think that was Kevin Bacon day one shooting. And that swagger was just such a you know, mm -hmm. it was it was just great because you're like, ah. Oh, I know exactly who this guy is. And um, and I remember one point saying to Curtis, Kevin's eyes are so blue or something <laughs> like that. And he goes, we lit him for that. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, well, it's working, right? I was like, yeah, it's working. As, you know, I, I came up with Kevin Bacon Footloose and I said, I remember sitting in there one day and going, Kevin Bacon's in the other room, you know, and, yeah. um, but it, it was just, but, but yeah, he was, he was that guy that you like in the beginning. And when you watch it, you know, when you watch it deteriorate and see what a bad guy he is, it's, it's, yeah, it makes it harder when it's he's painful. the charming Kevin Bacon. I think he got nominated for a Golden Globe for that. He did. Um, Meryl and yeah. him, which is really yeah. significant considering this is broadly considered an action movie. Um, yeah. It's a testament to the power of it. And, you know, Kevin Bacon is just so wonderful. I feel like he's been a, been a part of my life as a as a movie lover my entire life and so to go back and watch this now when he's 35 and looks like he just left like a pearl jam concert and is so charming is it's just it's just really really wonderful um i have a couple more questions for you for you and then i'll let you go um so in you were saying you were sort of handling the rewrites and, and working on that aspect of it. And one thing that, you know, I watched this movie, I've probably seen this movie four or five times over the course of my life, but I'd never watched it until recently as an adult with a wife and kids. And I'm curious, like, uh, one of the things that this movie seems to really be getting at is like the male ego and insecurity, Strathern versus Bacon, <laughs> that like it really plays in this really uh -huh. interesting way. And I'm wondering, like, is that the kind of thing that as you're doing rewrites, you're talking about? Like, are the themes of the movie coming through or is it the way it feels in the movie, which is like act character as action? You know, you, the characters aren't talking all that much about how they feel, except in those more intimate moments. But you can feel sort of Strathern's insecurity playing out um, on the screen. You know, I feel like it was in the script... As you know, when, when the script came in, I think what was it is interesting that you say that, too, because she's just a strong female character and you get that these two people are very different. And we don't really know. I mean, you know, he's an architect and he's you know, you see it in that opening scene, too, where he tells the dog to get off the bed and the dog won't get off the bed <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. she looks at the dog and says maggie get off the bed you know and it's really funny because that the dog is used really to symbolize that too and then when he ends up with the dog and the dog jumps and he says that's the first time you ever listened to me mm -hmm. it it is a little like he felt emasculated in his own home but i think in some ways it was because i think he was never around mm -hmm. you know and it was that so i don't I don't really remember talking specifically about it or I probably wasn't in, mm -hmm. you know, the rehearsals or anything, but you know, David is so good at that and he was comfortable playing that role from the way it set up that she was this cool river chick and he was probably 
the nerdy architect, like when Benjamin Bratt's character shows up and starts talking about how, how great she was. Mm -hmm. So this mismatch of a couple, and then he has to, you know, kind of gain his, his, uh, strength again to try to help save her, even though she basically does it. But I was working for writers and they said to me, two male writers, they were like, I can't believe if that were my family, I would have cut my way out of that tent and I would have gone and stabbed those guys. And that would have never been an issue. And I was like, right. Sure. But that is the way, you know, and, and that whole scene where he's like, I'm going to get the gun. And, and, you know, it's him trying to rise and be a kind of a different guy for his family. So I honestly, I wish I could say, I don't remember. And I wasn't privy, but David was just perfect for that role in every way. So I'm sure there was some discussion even before he was cast, because um, I know that, you know, they Curtis took a lot of meetings to figure out who he wanted to play that role. Well, it really resonates with me. Uh, One reason tangentially, which is I'm Uh. from Boston. I grew up there. And so I sort of like kind of know the type of like what you would describe as kind of the classic professional beta male who's like making the money, but not necessarily like running the house. And I think for anyone who often feels like, man, I'm the less brave person in my marriage. (laughs) Like that's one thing that this movie really, really does is like this strong central female character uh, and the kind of husband who's a little like, I'm not, I'm scared. Like maybe doesn't want to go down the river or doesn't know how to like, you know, take action. I think it's one of the really um, great things about the movie. So after this, uh, you know, this as an action movie podcast, so I would be remiss if I did not ask you about working on Strange <laughs> Days with Catherine Bigelow and how that experience differed from Well, this I one. hate to say it, I was only in post on that movie. So, yeah, oh, okay. I really only got to work with her. Um, you know, it was it, funny enough, I was on the River Wild for such a long time. And then I, I was really just her assistant in post. So I wasn't sad that I did not shoot however many nights they shot in Los Angeles, because that movie was pretty much all at night, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so mm-hmm. a, a very different experience. But I can't really speak to the production of it because I really wasn't there for the production. I was only there for the for the post. So um, I just think, you gotcha. know, in, in a on the river wild like i said i started i remember meeting curtis at universal on a friday night and him saying well we just signed meryl streep and i said i think my mouth dropped open for a second and then i went okay because <laughs> uh, i hate to say it but you understand in the business sometimes you're at a point you're freelance and you're like you need a job and you get a call from a friend who goes hey this director called us and he's got a movie for universal and oh, yeah. and this was back in the day too where you had to call the dga to get someone's credits you couldn't just look them up on imdb and it was like oh hand that rocks right. the cradle bad influence you know um amazing amazing amazing, amazing movies but also kind of and Curtis would acknowledge this. They were kind of B movies. And so this was mm. the, his elevation to the next level and working with this level of talent. But, you know, I look at LA confidential and I remember, you know, yeah. he gave me that book. That's a really interesting one night or what we were, we were in Oregon and he handed me a beat up, copy that he got at a secondhand bookstore and said, cause by that time too, I was reading scripts for him and he was getting, 
you know, he was getting everything. So every thriller in the world was spoiled for me for the next three years because he was getting, you know, he, he was getting not necessarily offered, but everything was getting sent to him. And, um, mm-hmm. but he handed me the LA confidential book and said, read this and tell me what you think. And I said, okay. And I'd never read James Elroy and, um, I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And he said, I, I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm involved with it. He didn't know if it was going to be next. You know, there was a lot going on and and but i he asked me to do an outline of the book for him and so sometimes i got to go work in the trailer at night while we were shooting and do the outline of the book and then i did the outline and then he came back because that's a very tough book to outline and said he said maybe a chapter by chapter synopsis and i said i wish i still had it because I look back on that movie and I look at that script and I say I know where this started and how difficult that was but I feel like he just was such an incredibly smart and just loved movies. I learned so much working with him and watching that. I wasn't with him by the time he made LA Confidential, but he did send me a a version of the script with a note that I still have. And I went to the set and visited once and and I, he said, I got to go to an early screening and we, we stayed in touch for, you know, a long time. And so I was always, um, very grateful to have that, um, have that, time with someone who was so smart yeah no and well this probably won't shock you but because of the the this kind of show there's a lot of dad talk on this podcast phil Uh and i are both dads we saw a lot of these movies with our dads and i have such a distinct memory of going to see la confidential on a saturday afternoon the week it came out with my dad and my dad just like being floored by it like knocked over by it and just how good it was and and that made me go Mm -hmm. backwards and start watching curtis hansen movies because and realizing like oh he did you know i'm what 13 14 15 at the time i was like oh he did river wild and i and i went back and watched that and my parents loved the hand that rocks the cradle like all these movies and i this is such the river wild is such, as you mentioned earlier, like there's probably, there's no LA Confidential mm-hmm. without the River Wild because it's sort of his step into this like much more elevated, you know, sort of what would be considered higher <laughs> brow, right? Like it's a really important Well, movie. it's funny too. And I, I remember this well, like I said, I was reading for him and by the end too, we were like, he had a, he had an office in his house and he was, when we were done with post and we were just waiting for the release of the movie and, and, I would be reading things and and we went over to his agency and they were talking about, we were talking about what his next movie would be. And he brought me into the room and we were, they were all these different types. And there was one, and I can't remember if it ever got made, but it was very similar to dead calm. You know, it was, um, and, Mm -hmm. and I should, maybe at the time they were looking at Brad Pitt as, you know, the guy that comes in and whatever. And of course, you know, agents were like, wanting to get him another movie right away. And, um, and he said something to me about it and he goes, you know, it was always, I'd read something and we'd discuss it and I'd say, well, you should read this or whatever. And, and, um, he was like, well, it's pretty good. And it's kind of, and I said, do you want to be the guy who always does the movie where there's an interloper? I mean, you've done so many of those at this point. Mm. And he kind of went, he was actually looking at doing the alienist next and that just kind of never uh, came together. Yeah. And and I sat and I think I had to sit in a chair and read that book all day. Um, And, but, but he was really, you know, he, 
he was good at that type of movie, but LA, you know, after the river wild, it was time for him to break out and do something different. And I think that's why, you know, LA confidential was his passion project. And he grew up in LA and is a, you know, a child of cinema wrote these wrote for, um, one of the magazines and just knew so much. And he was saving those postcards. He would collect those all around LA and, you know, the frolic room and all those. He was just, you know, he was, a, he was a, his, an historian of, of Los Angeles too. So LA confidential was really his, you know, his, his passion project oh, yeah. as it, as it should have been. And, and, uh, and really amazing yeah. uh, movie. Yeah. So speaking of IMDb, which you mentioned before, I'm I was just you know looking at your IMDb this morning and and the, some of the films that you worked on after this, like Green Mile, Best in Show, Proof of Life, which is a movie uh-huh. I love. And and you've been working you know and th- this is for so long on so many different impressive kinds of projects. Like you know we've been talking for a while. And this being one of your earliest experiences in Hollywood, like, was there a a big takeaway or like a a lesson that you learned from working on this movie that you still think like resonates every day when you go to work? You're on set now. Is there something you think like, oh, I learned this from Curtis or I saw this happened on the set? Or do you feel like you bring those lessons into your that you learned on the river wild into your day to day. I really do. And I will tell you to me, one of the funniest things is like, you know, and, and it's working in like television movies, like I am right now, you know, an executive producer on those, you're really like a non-writing EP and the director comes mm-hmm. in and, and oftentimes you've been involved way longer than the director and sometimes are longer afterwards. But I think I have a great respect for directors, no matter when they come in. And, and I personally, I think, you know, I say at this point, I've worked for two Oscar winning directors and which is pretty amazing. But then at Castle Rock, Mm -hmm. that was different. You know, I was more an assistant and then in development, but same thing, the level of directors, the Frank Darabont's and the Taylor Hackbirds and the Christopher Guest and all these people. And I think that you just, you know, have this, this vision that they have. And I, I like to say to directors that I even work with now, I'm like, I'm here to support you and we're going to get the best movie. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to do everything possible to support you. And if you veer off course a little bit, I'm going to go, okay, we're going to correct course. But I feel like the way I started and it it was a different time and television and features are a very different genre, but I have a lot of respect for directors and what they do. And I want to, you know, give them every tool they have to be able to, you know, uphold their vision. But at the same time, I'm there to, you know, to pull them in the right direction if I feel, you know, that it's not going the right way creatively. But I want them to do their jobs. And I have so much respect for directors. And and a friend of mine and I were talking about that years ago and having that experience. Um, You're the gatekeeper. When you're a good assistant Mm -hmm. on set, you're the gatekeeper for them. And you're trying to protect them because they need that mental space to be able to work. And I think that's one of the things that I, I, I kind of, I feel like I understand a director's head maybe better than, you know, I mean, especially when you worked with them for a long time. I mean, with Curtis, that was probably close to two years of my life that I was working on that movie from prep through, I mean, I went on location scouts because with, because Carrie Fisher was uh, faxing, 
rewrites in on le- yellow legal pads and we were trying to get the script together so that they'd go out and scout all day and I'd sit and, and go through the script revisions with Curtis and then I would implement them into the script and you know so it was a really I was there from I mean I saw those locations before anyone else did you know before any the keys and I saw all those locations together so um it just learning so much and the re, you know the respect I have like I said I love proof of life too uh, that movie to me is very underrated that was an amazing amazing oh, script and what it you know Tony Gilroy and Taylor Hacker Tony yep. Gilroy Tony Gilroy amazing total total genius total genius uh that is is really cool to hear and and uh, you know let's love stories like everyone thinks hollywood's so glamorous but like carrie fisher was 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 faxing you know yellow pad pages of the script to us while we're on location scouting it just it just goes to show you how like challenging and difficult producing <laughs> movies is and especially a movie like this where you're like what's our location it's a river in the middle of nowhere like just really cool um galen thank you so much for taking the time to chat here about this movie that like we love and extol the virtues of as often as we can and, and it's just really great to get some insight into the making of it and the stories that you have. Well, thank you for having me because I will say to me, I am incredibly proud of that movie having, you know, just worked on it. And like I said, I look back now sometimes and go, Oh my gosh, I was so young and I had no, like Meryl Streep served my birthday cake, you know, and things like that. But, (laughs) but I do look at how much and, and the things that we had to learn, like how they would release the water for the river and how many, you know, there were just so many different things. And I think anytime you do a movie, you learn and then you forget a lot, but we had an amazing team of people and it took that to get that movie made, it was a really hard movie to make. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's more beloved than it was when it was first released. You know, I think it, it, it did, did okay, but it it didn't, wasn't the blockbuster that all these male driven action movies were. And, um, but I know most of the people I know who have seen it actually really love it. And like I said, I watch it and I go, Oh, I remember that day when I was following our safety guy up the hills and he was saying up the wet up the wet rock and he was saying step where I step and I was doing that and he fell in front of me and broke his wrist and I was like well, I, think I'm a, I don't want to step where he's stepping anymore I might step somewhere <laughs> else that seems smart well, the first day I'll leave you with this though this is hilarious when we were in the research and development phase I was in the office and there was one day where I had to bring him pages uh, and they took me out on a jet boat, which when we weren't using a helicopter, we were using a jet boat and they, he was at the top. We were, it was, it was at the bottom of a little waterfall around one side. So the boat couldn't even stay still. And they had rigged the side where you had to climb up the rock. And so there were only a few people up there and I came out and I, the first AD there, he was like, okay, give me the pages. And they, they hauled him up the crank or whatever. And I said, ask Curtis if he needs me to come up. And he said, he doesn't. And I said, ask him if he needs me to come up. (laughs) And I got the, Curtis says, come on up. And I went, oh no. Um, And so they had to put a, a, they had to put a, a life vest on me. And then they had to rig me with like a rock climbing thing. And I had to climb up the side of a rock, which I had never done over a waterfall. Now I wasn't gonna fall in. But I crawled up the side of a rock over the waterfall, and then I got up to the top, and 
I probably our best boy was a lovely guy unclipped me. They clipped me to another rope and I was shaking. And they said, they set me, they said, here, just sit here for a second and let your legs kind of, and then you had to walk over and I walked over with Curtis and I said, so you need me? And he goes, I just wanted you to come up here and see how cool it looks. And I was like, Oh great. And then even worse though, getting down, you basically repelled backwards onto the bow of a boat and it was like, here you go, just come down backwards and one of the guys mm. will catch you. And it was like, are you kidding? So that was my life for months of, and but we all got really good at it and we all developed, we called them our rock legs as opposed to our sea legs. But it was, it was quite an experience overall and I still have friends from that movie from many years ago and we all hung together. It was great. That's the best part of movie making. Oh yeah, it's the, it's the hangs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much, Liam. I really appreciate it. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast created and hosted by Philip Gawthorne. Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Rate, review, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, tell your movie podcast-loving friends about Die Hard on a Blank. Special thanks to Suki Chu. See you next time on Die Hard on a blank. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy 2 get 2 free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than 5 miles away, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.